Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on February 28th of 2016. Under the headline, Oregon Lad Became a Founding Father of Russian Communism. Here we go. The list of national VIPs who have been native sons and daughters of Oregon is a short one, even considering how short the state's history is. Herbert Hoover and Ulysses S. Grant may be the closest. Both had strong Oregon connections, although neither was actually born here. But internationally, it's another story. Back in 1917, when the Bolsheviks seized power in the December Revolution in Russia, among their number was the scion of one of the wealthiest and most respected families in the Beaver State, a Harvard grad named John Silas Reed. John Reed, or Jack as he was always called, was born in 1887 in one of the biggest and most opulent mansions in Portland, the home of Henry and Charlotte Green a French chateau-style residence tucked into five acres next to what's now Washington Park. Henry, who had founded Oregon's first gas works and the West Coast's first iron smelter and died two years before Jack's birth, had left his family a solid position in Portland's elite. Young Jack grew up surrounded by servants and in utter luxury, his playmates carefully chosen by his parents to ensure that their families were socioeconomically worthy. The Depression of 1893 straightened the family's finances somewhat, and they had to move to cheaper digs. Then, just before Jack went off to Harvard, Jack's father, C.J. Reed, became a federal marshal and was called upon to help Francis Haney crack down on the Oregon land swindlers, who were using dummy settlers to acquire title to public land and hand it over to large timber concerns. The land swindlers were very well connected in Portland, and after a few of them were prosecuted, including Senator John Mitchell, the elites in Portland shunned C.J. as a traitor to his class. This ostracism took a toll on the elder Reed, and when he died in 1912, young Jack blamed the wealthy swells of Portland for it. Although he'd returned to Portland many times to visit his mother and would meet his wife there, he was always glad to get away. After graduating from Harvard, Reed soon made himself a name as a sort of muckraking bohemian journalist. With the sponsorship of a fellow Harvard man, Lincoln Steffens, he moved to New York, settled into Greenwich Village, got an editing job at the American Magazine to pay the bills, and started building a reputation as a freelance journo. He soon had a reputation as a sharp, incisive observer and gifted writer with a penchant for social justice issues, a brutal crackdown on striking female silk mill workers in New Jersey, the Ludlow massacre of striking workers in Colorado, the Mexican Revolution. Soon he was working for a frankly socialist magazine, The Masses. As a journalist, Reed became known for the kind of personal narrative nonfiction writing that would be rediscovered and rechristened the new journalism in the 1960s. Journeying to Mexico, he immersed himself in the local culture and palled around with Pancho Villa for several months, 
The Fruit of His Journey was his first major breakout book, Insurgent Mexico. When the First World War broke out, Reed went to France as a war correspondent. At the time, though, American war correspondents were regarded by the French army as liabilities at best and spies at worst. The information-gathering methods that had served him so well in Mexico proved utterly useless in France. After several months of fruitless attempts to even reach the front lines, he started an affair with a German woman and went with her to Berlin. There he had better luck. According to one account, he was actually invited to participate in firing on the French lines with a Mauser rifle. Although probably untrue, this story would haunt him later. In 1916, on a trip home to visit his mother, Reed met a fellow socialist writer named Louise Bryant, a San Francisco native and University of Oregon alumna. By the end of that year, the two of them were married. When the U.S. entered the war, suddenly socialists were very out of fashion, and Reed couldn't get any kind of work. His angry anti-intervention articles in the masses got the magazine shut down by the wartime government, so in August 1917, he and Louise traveled to Petrograd to report on the fast-developing situation in the new Russian Republic, which had arisen to try to salvage what could be saved from the wreckage of the Russian Empire. It was in Russia that Reed fully and unreservedly went native. Reed made no attempt to hide his enthusiasm for the Bolshevik cause there, he met and collaborated with Trotsky and Lenin, started learning Russian, and after the dramatic seizure of the Winter Palace on November 7th, eagerly placed his pen in the service of the new revolutionary government. Lenin briefly made him the USSR's consul for New York, but withdrew the nomination after hearing rumors that Reed had proposed a propaganda campaign to prop up the previous government. Reed returned to the U.S. and barnstormed around for a time, making fiery pro-Bolshevik speeches and getting arrested on various violations of the just-passed Espionage and Sedition Acts. A trial on charges of sedition for work he'd published in the masses resulted in a hung jury twice. Early in 1919, he was grilled by a Senate committee. Finally, facing another sedition indictment, he slipped out of the country on a Scandinavian freighter and made his way to Russia. There, he found that victory seemed to have gone to the Bolsheviks' heads, and the bullheaded bureaucracy that he'd found so infuriating in pre-revolutionary Russia was making a triumphant comeback now. After a month or so, he once again decided to return home, indictment or no indictment, but before he could do so, he caught spotted typhus, and with Louise Bryant at his side still trying to nurse him back to health, died on October 17th. Although before his death, Reed's relationships with the other top Bolsheviks had seemed well on their way to a total deterioration, after he was dead, and therefore harmless, they hastened to make a revolutionary martyr of him. Reed received a funeral with full military honors. After lying in state for a suitable period, his body was buried at the Kremlin Wall Necropolis. He thus became the only American to be buried there, although half of the ashes of Big Bill Haywood a founder of the International Workers of the World Union, were interred there in 1928. It was a long way from Reed's old Oregon home. As a side note, a persistent rumor claims that Portland's Reed College was named after John Reed. In fact, it was named after an unrelated Portland industrial magnate, Simeon Reed, whose fortune endowed it in 1911, although the intellectual climate of the college throughout most of the last hundred years has been such that John Reed would have found it a very congenial place. Key sources in this story have included works by Eric Homberger, Fred DeWolf, 
Michael Monk, and OregonEncyclopedia.org. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.